Welcome to the Union Jews Podcast. The UK's only All Things Union Podcast. Designed for your downloadable digital delight and appreciation. In this special episode, the Horizon IT scandal, which saw the post office's reputation descend into tatters as hundreds of postmasters and mistresses were wrongly convicted. And yet their own union, the NFSP, accused them, their own members, of theft. Hello, hello and welcome to this special edition of the UK's only all things union podcast, Union Dues. I'm Simon Sapper. The Horizon IT debacle saw hundreds and hundreds of postmasters, postmistresses and employees prosecuted by the post office on false allegations of theft compounded by a methodical cover-up. It's been likened to the Windrush scandal in terms of the severity of impact on its victims and survivors. It's that bad. Now, the reputation of the Horizon Project and its backers is currently and justifiably in ruins. We have the incisive judgment handed down by Justice Fraser in the case of Bates and Orr versus the Post Office Limited in December 2019, a subsequent inquiry by a Bayes Select Committee in March 2020, and a public inquiry chaired by retired High Court Judge Sir Wynne Williams was established first on a non-statutory basis on the 29th of September 2020, and then it was converted into a statutory inquiry with much wider terms of reference and powers on the 1st of June 2021. That inquiry is just about to start taking evidence in person from the victims of the Horizon scandal. Now, a key actor in all this was the representative body for sub-postmasters and mistresses, the National Federation of Sub-Postmasters, the NFSP colloquially known as the Fed. In my view, it is a jaw-dropping illustration of what happens when union leaderships ignore and then distrust members and then surrender their independence. The Fed was delisted, in other words, had its status as a union revoked in 2014. Investigative journalist Nick Wallace, author of The Great Post Office Scandal, broke the story and then ran with it, persevering despite obstructions from those trying to keep things hidden and disinterest from some who thought the story was too technical, too geeky. We're fortunate to have grabbed Nick for his take on the Fed and where it all went wrong. Now, not surprisingly, a significant number of Fed members felt exposed and disenchanted, so good then to be able to chat with Andy Fury and Mark Baker of the Communication Workers Union, the CWU, who shared their experiences of Horizon and the Fed, and providing an alternative and genuinely representative and accountable structure for postmasters and mistresses. Andy is the union's national officer with responsibility for counters, cash handling, clerical functions, membership in the post office. Mark leads the CWU's Postmasters branch, but for many years was a member of the Fed's National Executive Committee. They speak really candidly about the impact of Horizon on this community and how the Fed, the very organisation designed to look after their interests, willfully lost the plot. I started off by asking Nick a near impossible question. Could he sum up the Horizon scandal in just a few sentences? The government decided to automate the post office, cooked up a PFI deal, uh, which would involve a IT system being rolled out into the entire post office estate, front and back end automation for 20,000 individual post uh, offices around the country. Um, the system didn't work when it was rolled out. It never worked properly up until about 2017. But the holes in the accounts that were caused by this faulty computer system were blamed on the sub-postmasters. And if they did not pay them back, even if they did on occasion, the the post office would go after the sub-postmasters with their prosecution wing and proceed them through the criminal courts, ending up with 736 convictions over a 14-year period between 2000 and 2014, many of which have now been ruled an affront to the conscience of the court because the post office basically prosecuted these people on faulty IT information. 
I mean, thank you very much. I mean, for anyone who's not familiar with the scandal, that is an excellent, excellent uh, synopsis. And the representative body for those sub-postmasters was, and in their own eyes still is, the National Federation of Sub-Postmasters. Nick, what would you say the role should have been of that representative body in, in this mess? Uh, they should have been listening to the individual sub-postmasters who were putting up their hands and saying that we've got problems that we can't explain. And going back to the post office and saying, you've got to look at your IT system because these people are saying that they're not stealing the money, their staff aren't stealing the money. So the only other reason has to be the IT system. And although that may have happened on the ground in some cases, it was not taken seriously by the leadership or the management. And the reason for this was, A, because they didn't really understand the computer system and didn't seem to take any steps to do so, and B, because they bet the farm on it. They realised that the reduction in footfall due to the um, number of benefits that the government were um, depositing straight into recipients' bank accounts meant that there would be less trade coming into their individual postmasters' post offices. Now, that mattered because each sub-postmaster is an agent of the post office. They're independent small businesses. And if their trade is falling off, then they need to find some other ways of increasing that footfall into the post office so that they can make money. And the automation of the post office system through this Horizon IT system was uh, all about operability and functionality and allowing banking services and allowing electricity companies to allow customers to pay their bills through it, etc. So telling these potential new clients among the electricity companies, amongst the banks, amongst the many other uh, insurance services perhaps that could be offered through the system, telling these potential clients that the Horizon system was a bulletproof gold standard system was absolutely essential to maintain the value of the members' businesses. And so the NFSP clearly took a policy decision that it was better for the good of the whole membership if a few individuals got thrown under the bus and were prosecuted by the post office and they didn't ask too many questions about it, then they allowed any debate or discussion about the integrity of the Horizon IT system. And as late as 2015, the General Secretary of the NFSP uh, sat in Parliament and told MPs who had been listening to the concerns of postmasters and uh, their colleagues within the House of Commons who were worried about the IT system, the General Secretary of the NFSP told the MPs that there was nothing to worry about, that the post office hadn't put a foot wrong on Horizon and insinuated that a lot of the people who were complaining about their convictions were creating a cottage industry and, and a, a little a scam for themselves, a scheme for themselves, whereby they could uh, potentially get their names cleared. And that, that was George Thompson at the time. Yeah. So... The function of unions has often been described as being canaries in coal mines. It sounds as if the behaviour of the NFSP leadership at that time was not to listen to the canary, but to smother it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair enough summary. And, and don't forget, this was going on in Crown offices as well, where CWU uh, represented the, the vast majority of workers. And whilst the CWU had by 2015 woken up, to the problems with Horizon by listening to um, the campaigners and, and the MPs in Parliament. For the first part of this century, uh, essentially a good sort of eight or nine years, the CWU wasn't doing much in terms of helping people who were being prosecuted from Crown offices either. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's fair to say that anyone in the post office network who handled money and had a customer interface was at risk of being caught by the horizon deficient deficiencies. And of course, that will include CWU represented grades as well as those that were represented by the NFSP. <laughs> Do you feel that the NFSP has ever recognised the problems that its, its stance particularly caused? Because, you know, I hear what you say about this, the CWU, and obviously listeners will know that, that that's a union very close to my heart. But it's one thing, it's one thing to be perceived as perhaps not doing all you can to defend members. It's another to actively pick up the shovel and start burying them. Yeah, I think um, the NFSP needs to recognise it did things badly wrong. It, it has essentially disavowed uh, the previous leadership under George Thompson, but it hasn't really properly examined the role of its members in essentially betting the post office's prosecution machine. And 
I think it would be instructive if there were to be a bit of soul searching on behalf of the the current leadership uh, to look at, at what it was doing. But of course, they want to draw a line under it and move on as any organisation does. To me, it's unforgivable that as far as I'm aware, neither the CWU or the NFSP were keeping a tally of the number of prosecutions that were going on in the early part of, the, of, of this century. It seems no one was. Even the post office claimed that it didn't have the figures until uh, the post-conviction disclosure exercise that it started uh, undertaking last year. Why wasn't the justice system? Why wasn't the government? Why weren't the courts? Why weren't the unions counting the number of prosecutions that were going on around the country so that someone could have seen the scale of what was happening? One of the things that your own investigative work has done, Nick, has been revealed that the scale of this was was off the scale in terms of what one could have expected or considered. I think it's been termed the biggest scandal in terms of in terms of public accounting, in terms of uh, public money since the contaminated blood scandal. And I think that that's probably about about right, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's up there with Windrush and contaminated blood in terms of the harms that have been done to people. Uh, of course, it's, it's not a physical harm in, in the way that the contaminated blood scandal was. But so many of these sub-postmasters were very, very visible people within their communities. And they had a sense of pride in the way they served their community. And they were proud to be aligned with a 300-year-old institution. And so their fall from grace was very, very public. And they were incredibly isolated as well, don't forget. I mean, this was happening in the early 2000s, and a lot of these people weren't very internet savvy themselves. So they didn't have much communication with other sub-postmasters. And one of the most egregious lies told to them by the post office was that they were the only people querying problems with the Horizon IT system. And that had a dual effect. One, it dampened down any possibility that they might find other people who were suffering from the same problems, but it also caused all sorts of mental health problems because people began to doubt their own sanity when they were looking at numbers going wrong on the computer screen and were being told that it was only them. They started to wonder if it if it was their ineptitude or inco- incompetence. And, and, and that really did cause horrendous spirals of decline in people's own sense of what they were about. They, they, they were competent people who business people who bought post offices, who operated them efficiently. And now suddenly everything was going inexplicably wrong. And yet they were told, they were lied to by investigators and contract managers and, and, and potentially prosecutors who told them that they were the only ones having problems with that. And that particular uh, line has never been properly unpicked. But so when we're currently running the statutory inquiry into this scandal, it's um, very keen, I think, to to actually get to the bottom of all that. Indeed, I mean, what do you what do you hope will be the outcome from from the public inquiry? Are can we be reasonably confident that now now the truth has largely come out? Lessons will be learned, and we won't we won't get into this position again. The short answer is no, because until people are accountable for their actions, until people know that they themselves could go to prison if they make a decision in bad faith or they make a decision which is incompetent, which ends up with someone else going to prison, then they will never be held properly to account. And this scandal could happen again and again and again. That's why we have the Windrush scandal. It's why we have the infected blood scandal. It's why we have all these IT disasters. The the, the long answer is that the inquiry should do more than lessons learned. It should look at who knew what when. It should pick out the decision makers at the post office and, if needs be, at the unions and look at the dynamic between them when they knew that there were problems with the computer system, the decisions they took subsequent to that, and whether or not there was a criminal conspiracy going on. I mean, the post office kept information from sub-postmasters which would have helped their convictions to be quashed for a period of years. It wasn't until 2019 and the two seminal judgments from Mr Justice Fraser in the civil litigation, that anyone in authority aligned themselves with the postmaster's arguments. And if the post office had a strategy of refusing to give information which could help people find their way to justice, and they knew they were doing that in order to protect their own reputations, you're not that far away from coming to a conclusion that there may have been a criminal conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. And, And I would like to see the inquiry unpick all of that to see if charges can be at anyone's door, or or should or should be, not just can be or should should be. I mean, I think particularly if one follows the the trail of money between the various stakeholders, including 
particularly including the uh, the leadership of the NFSP, that would be that would probably be quite quite illuminate uh, quite an illuminating path to tread. Yeah, I, I think following the money is obviously something that you should always do as a journalist, and it was undoubtedly cheaper for the post office to pursue individual sub postmasters than it was for them to go to Fujitsu and say, we need a root and branch investigation of what's happening with this IT system. Because of the unfair contract that the post office entered into with sub postmasters, they could demand money with menaces under threat of removing someone's livelihood. And that was obviously a simple send where if they were to go and do a root and branch investigation of the, the Fujitsu's Horizon system, they would be having to pay an awful lot of money, uh, potentially looking for a needle in a haystack that that, that could impact their bottom line. Uh, go back to the NFSP's position, was, which was that they were protecting uh, the wider membership's bottom line by, by not querying what was going on with the post office prosecutions too much but at the cost of innocent people going to prison, which is about the most fundamental harm you can inflict on someone without it being actual violence. I, I, I think that says it all. Many thanks, Nick. You can get hold of a copy of The Great Post Office Scandal from Bath Publishing, all one word, bathpublishing.com. Now, Nick has described what sounds like an absolute nightmare for those involved. It's at best a kind of disappointment and at worst a betrayal by the Fed and the post office. And of course, the point Nick makes about the deliberate isolating of those accused being told that they were the only ones in this position really caused a problem in trying to build a picture of how widespread the issue was in real time. But what was it like on the ground for postmasters and postmistresses. What was it like to be an active member of the Federation at this time? There are very few people who know better than Mark Baker, former member of the NFSP National Executive and now the Secretary of the CWU Postmasters Branch. I was delighted to welcome Mark and National CWU Officer Andy Fury to the Union News podcast and I started by asking Mark for his reflections on his time as an NFSP activist wasn't particularly um happy one there was always this atmosphere of things were not quite right with this organization that i'd played a, a senior role in i came from the cwu originally i was a postal officer in worthing head post office uh was branch secretary for a while of the clerical grades branch in the union um and then got caught up in the head post office regrading program and we're going back now to the um, 70s um, and um, <clears throat> eventually the, you know I was being moved from one head office to the next and my wife and I who was also a post office so we said enough's enough so we bought our own sub post office and of course the only union you could join as a postmaster was the NFSP now it was a registered trade union <clears throat> its history of, of, of that organization is hundreds of years old uh, about three, four hundred years old, and predates trade unions. It, it was set up originally as a as a guild, a guild that postmasters joined, and then some, at some point in the early seventies, somebody had worked out that um, there were tax benefits, VAT benefits, if the organisation registered to become a trade union, uh, which they did. Now this was before the certification officer, so there was no. There was no um, hoops to jump through. You just followed the necessary paperwork and put yourself on the list of trade unions. And then they qualified for all the advantages you know, a trade union gets. Quasi-corporate body, that they had the protection of, say, certain uh, legal protections uh, rather than being an unincorporated association. Then the certification officer department was formed and launched <clears throat> but for reasons that are unexplained the original certification officer and his uh, successors over the years never went and examined the list of trade unions that they'd inherited so they never did any kind of tests to see whether you, you qualified to be a trade union plenty of organizations applied to be a trade union and were, were rejected because they didn't meet the criteria. But the existing list was never examined to ensure as to whether or not they met the criteria. I'll wind you back to when I joined the NFSP. And I, as I said to, at the beginning, I was suspicious about the way they operated. 
They always seemed to side with the post office. And the only way to find out what was really going on was to campaign and get myself elected onto the executive council, which I eventually succeeded in doing. And even getting there, I didn't really get the answers I was looking for because there was like an executive council within the executive council. And it was in that small nucleus of people, probably two or three, led by the their then general secretary, who at the time was a guy called Colin Baker. They kept things very tight. And it, the, the full executive council didn't really understand quite what was going on between the Federation and the post office. Of course, with hindsight, what was going on was the posters were just simply telling that general secretary what he would do or else. Uh, and, and that's how it, it worked. And that general secretary's job then was to go and deliver the bad news to the executive council, who then had to go out to their regions and deliver the bad news to the members as to why they weren't going to get a pay rise or why they couldn't do that, stop something that the postmasters were introducing. So it was, a, it was a kind of Hobson's choice situation. It was the NFSP or, or, or nothing. And yet, even as a member of the executive council, you were unable to lift the lid on what was going on and therefore have some measure of accountability from, from the senior leadership of the, of, of the Federation. Yeah, I, I never get I never got to see how they conducted themselves when they were in the company of the post office. What was the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were? When did you decide that actually the NFSP was was not going to be able to deliver for you or, or others in, in your position and therefore it was appropriate to, to turn to somewhere else, particularly the CWU? I suppose it was the 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 first signs that we were going to go through a yet another transformation program. This one was called Network Transformation. We were told that our contracts would be changed and that the the, the contracts that we, we'd had for donkey's years were going to be turned into these new post office locals and post office mains. It was going to mean that we would lose our what we have something called a courtier payment which is basically a fixed amount of pay to help you manage the costs of running a branch that was going to go and you're going to go on commission based only pay and you had to have your office refurbished and reconfigured to meet the new standard it was a huge program and it was actually quite a scary one but in the early days it was voluntary but nevertheless, I, I could see, as did a colleague of mine called Nippy Singh, I could see where this was going to end up. And we tried to campaign against the post office launching this, this programme. And that because the executive council had voted to support it, we were out of line with federation policy. And essentially, they made life really difficult for Nippy. And I, I mean, I, I resigned before I could be um sacked basically and right. Nippy, Great. <laughs> Nippy, held, Nippy held on and he got sacked <laughs> so so that so so andy the, the cwu obviously is uh you know is the was the obvious refuge uh an antidote to the, the you know the the federation's delinquency and the the plight of of its of its members but how how did the union organize and what kind of uh, advice and, and support could it offer and does it offer? Okay, so the, the, the first point here was that uh, the CW did try to work with the, the Federation of Sub-Postmasters uh, and I was in meetings with with the, the senior leaders, including the General Secretary, uh, the last couple of General Secretaries of, of the Fed. And I've got to say, I wasn't impressed with their demeanour or their attitude or approach. We try and work with our sister unions, uh, Unite, who represent the managers, and we have a good relationship with Unite, but the Fed was something else. It was evident to me from the outset that they were in the pocket of the post office, or the post office were the puppeteers uh, and pulling the strings. So when Mark uh, initially approached the CW to see if we could form uh, an alliance or work together more closely, uh, I was very keen to do so because I think the postmaster's problems are very much aligned to the directly employed staff's problems as well. There's a synergy there, and it's a, it's a natural synergy that the, the bosses of the post office treat everybody as if they're rubbish. Um, I could use stronger language, but I won't. <laughs> um, well, essentially, essentially I, I felt that if we could bring together all interested parties and have uh, a, uh, an, an alliance, um, then that would make us stronger in being able to shape the future 
and to be able to resist the worst excesses of, of, the, of the Positivist board. Uh, and from that, Mark and others joined the CWU and we, we formed a postmaster's branch within the CWU, dedicated, elected by and from postmasters to serve the best interest of postmasters. But in terms of the post office, Mark and I worked very closely together in determining policy and strategy and, and tactics uh, and, and working out what our agenda is. Now, it's very, very difficult to advance that when whilst we haven't got full recognition and full bargaining rights, which is clearly our agenda, is, is to make a difference to postmasters. And I, and I think we have made a difference to a degree, but there's a long way to go yet. And uh, we need to entice many, many more postmasters into the union to, and, and demonstrate that we are the natural home for postmasters, which is, I believe we are, uh, because we're independent, we're free, uh, and we will do what's right for the members not what's right for the bosses and you know the likes of Paula Venels and, and her ilk. People need to understand, don't they, that that actually uh, postmaster CW is not re- is not recognised by by the the employer in in a normal way for for collective bargaining, and yet there is nowhere else for postmasters to, to go. So it seems to be quite a. It seems to be that the, the post office is kind of having its cake and eating it in in, in that sense. But the when when was it first apparent? What the scale of the Horizon scandal was going to be? I think Mark would would have a, a better inkling of that because of his uh, his interaction with postmasters and, and hearing um, what was going on and starting to piece it together. Uh, in terms of the CWU, for our directly employed members, it wasn't apparent for a long time because you know I don't I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm crowing about this, but. The agreements that we have with the company did provide a, a, a much higher degree of protection and security of employment. So there's, there is not any evidence of postal officers or counter clerks being sacked for or even prosecuted for Horizon-related um, theft or errors. You know, the, the postalists were claiming theft by postmasters arising from Horizon, and yet we didn't have those same uh, degree of problems for the Crown offices. So I think we were oblivious to it within the CWU for quite a while. But of course, that was the tactics of the post office to, to try and suppress it and, and make out that it wasn't um, uh, nationwide. And, and as Mark t- and, uh, tells everybody, and I've heard this from lots of postmasters, just as recently as the select committee in, in earlier in December, the postmasters that were facing um, dismissal and, and, and prosecutions were all told what they were on this they were in this on their own and that there wasn't a, 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 you know a repetition or there wasn't a, a trend of this happening across the UK that they were they were the only people that were facing these problems. So it very much was a divide and conquer approach by the postalists. Uh, and that's very difficult when you've got 13, 14,000 postmasters, as was at the time, disparately uh, across the UK. And that's why they needed a strong trade union to organise and to to protect them and, and to communicate with them. And they didn't have that, unfortunately. Yeah. So I think Mark can speak more about when it became apparent to, to him and, and others within within the Federation. Yeah, Mark, I mean, what, your view on that would be really interesting, and, and also, also, what your hopes are for the Win Williams inquiry that's uh, that's mm-hmm. now really getting into its stride, or is due to get into its stride in February, certainly. Well, it, it was a it was a gradual build up of re- revelations, really, and suspicions suddenly becoming no longer suspicions, but actual founded concerns that this computer system was causing some of the discrepancies. The the problems with Horizon goes back to my federation days. Um, I was the executive officer for um, what was, we had 12 regions and my region was the Southwest and South Wales region. Uh, Members who would be suspended, I I would get told if they were a federation member, I would get told that they'd been suspended and I would contact them to say, what can I do to help? And it's sitting down, discussing the nature of their discrepancy, what what had occurred was when I started to start linking different people's stories. I didn't know anything about computer 
coding or software writing or anything like that. But I did know about computers and mainly the hardware side of things and how they computers would communicate over the internet. I knew something about that. I would always go and examine the members branch to find out what was it like on site? Was it was the machinery well maintained? Was it connected correctly? What was the broadband signal like in that area? What was the record of power supply to the village where the post office was? And I pieced together a picture in some of the cases I represented where there was a case to answer that it could have been hardware or communication related. Um, I used to put this to the contracts managers. And when I started waffling on about things like silent data corruption and um, ADSL going wrong, default, defaulted to the mobile phone signal, you literally see their eyes glaze over. They didn't have a clue what I was talking about. Why I got my members reinstated, I don't know to this day. I don't know what these contracts managers' decision-making process was like. But I would invariably, when I started to raise issues about Horizon, I would get my members reinstated. They had to agree to pay the money back, but I'd, I'd get them reinstated. But listening to my colleagues when we went to our national executive meetings, when, when we broke up after the day's work and that we would sit chatting in the restaurant or bar, they would be telling me stories about people they were supposed to be representing. And they were saying things like, hey, it's clearly, clearly on the take, or a member his family was. Uh, and they were not putting up any fight form because they believed that they were bad apples. And I was sort of quite shocked by this. And I sort of said, well, didn't you do this? Didn't you ask that? Oh, no, no. It's pretty obvious to me that they were they were falsifying the accounts and they were nicking the money. They probably had cash and carry debts or gambling debts or, or something. They weren't prepared to consider it could be the computer. And I believe that's because they couldn't articulate what it could be wrong with the computer. So I had these cases that literally only within my region that I, I used to uh, examine and, and start linking them. And then it, did, it really went up several gears when Second Sight were engaged to do their examination of the computer system. And of course, they were looking at the software side rather than the, the, the actual hardware and the infrastructure. But when they made their reports, it became it became very clear to me that we've got a national and major problem with this computer system. And they also confirmed some of the things that I was sort of amateurishly trying to identify. But indeed, yeah, if there wasn't good power, if there wasn't a good communication supply, and if the equipment wasn't kept maintained, yeah, discrepancies could be caused by that. So we were starting to get explanations, technical explanations about these discrepancies. But nevertheless, the post office went on within their default mode, and therefore so did the Federation, that no, it's a postmaster stealing, or they're just incompetent, they, they didn't do their training properly, or they were not prepared to consider for one moment, it could be something to do with the Horizon system. Yeah. Um, and then we went, we went along like that, we had two second sight reports, um, nothing improved. We, you know, we were finding out that there were things called a national suspense account that was full of unreconciled transactions. Well, whose were these transactions? To whom did they belong to? And it's when Second Sight started to investigate that, that that's when they got sacked because they were getting too close to the truth. And then the organisation called Justice for Sub Postmasters Alliance was set up. I shadowed that and I got obviously some of our own by then we were we'd had the CW Postmasters branch up and running uh, and some of our members were part of the JFSA. Um, so I used to get information about what was going on um, and they were building a good head of steam. It took them some time to get proper legal funding for them to launch litigation, but eventually they managed to do it. Uh, and, and we headed off to the high court mm. where lots of stuff came out about things I had no idea was going on, particularly the Horizon Issues trial where expert witnesses were being called in and um, revealing things that, you know, Fujitsu engineers logging on without leaving any trace to Postmaster's accounts and altering them, things like that. And you know, the jaw was hitting the floor on a daily basis listening to all this stuff. Um, and to think the way some people had been treated when it was, in my opinion, was clearly not their fault. 
when all this stuff was going on behind the scenes. Um, and I suppose it's a question of how much knowledge of that did the um, NFSP have? It certainly wasn't at basic executive council level, but I think the people that went on to something they called a negotiating committee and the assistant general secretary and the general secretary, I'm, I'm pretty sure they must have had some discussions with the post office about some of these things. Well, if nothing, if nothing else, if, if, if you've got over 500 people out of your membership or potential membership mm. getting convicted, you know, are, are you really going to say they're all on the take? They're all criminals. It's just, you know, that's that's what I can't get my mind around. around. Um, there is It's happening so often to so yeah. many people with such devastating consequences, and yet the NFSP stuck to its line. <laughs> it's- the thing is, though, nobody – I mean, I was completely dumbfounded when I found out the, the numbers of people that are being convicted. I had no idea the post office were – taking these convictions because if unless they were a member of the federation and later the postmasters branch unless that person was direct directed towards the federation or the cwu for help you wouldn't know they'd been arrested and then prosecuted because the last thing a postmaster would want anyone to know is he was in that kind of trouble indeed he'd be really quiet indeed it was it was a, a key component of, of what i think is rightly regarded as a cover-up yeah. Uh, so, so what are, what are the hopes then that that you have, you both of you have for the for the Win Williams inquiry? Is this is this the opportunity to really set the record straight? Because uh, the convictions are being overturned, for example, but there are still there. There's a long way of that road to run until every unfair conviction has has, has been turned over. Yeah. And yeah, so I, yeah, I I mean, look, I think the first thing we should say here is that postmasters are pillars of society and. Generally speaking, they, they are good people that want to to do a, to do their bit for the local community. Look, in all walks of life, there's always occasionally a, a bad apple in a barrel. But to the scale that the, the level of prosecutions that took place, uh, and indeed the, the number of dismissals that didn't go to prosecutions, I mean, it, it's just phenomenal. Uh, I mean, and the scale tells you that this was a deliberate policy of the post office to to get rid of postmasters i think it was a way of shutting post offices it was a way of reducing costs it, it, i mean it's just outrageous uh, and there's no doubt in my mind that, that the federation was in cahoots with this because no representative body that has that has a membership based organization could have been oblivious to what was going on in terms of the scale and for so long mm-hmm. even as recently as 2015 at the best select committee that mark and i gave evidence to we sat uh, at the same the same time scales period for giving evidence with the then general secretary a guy called george thompson and, and he robustly defended horizon as being wonderful and uh, and in essence well critically said Everybody that's been prosecuted is a thief, and, and they deserve to be to be uh, convicted and imprisoned, and so on and so forth. And this was the general secretary in 2015 saying this about his members. I mean, look, it, you know, if there if there was any proof needed as to uh, as to how much uh, the, the the federation was in the pocket of the post office, I'd urge people to go and have a look at that recording of that select committee and in particular the contributions by the then general secretary george thompson it's nothing short of a disgrace and hopefully that will be exposed and and challenged uh, by sir win williams I mean, i'm really hoping that sir win williams is going to subpoena people to come and give evidence people that probably will be very reluctant or reticent to show their face at the at the 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 inquiry which is now on on a judicial uh, Basis of putting, which you know we called for in the CW. Initially, it was set up as a non-judicial inquiry, uh, and and so Wim Williams has now got the teeth to to uh, to bring people to account, and and certainly senior people within the federation need to be asked some very searching, very you know very tough questions as to what they knew and, and what they either turned a blind eye to. You know why do this? If you purport to want to represent people and if you are genuine in wanting to see the best 
that could possibly happen for those people in terms of their working lives and, and, and you know, the way that they are treated by the company. It, it goes against everything that's in your DNA to allow for people to be dismissed and prosecuted. So it, it tells me that the people at the very top of the federation must have had an, a, 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 an agenda about themselves. They must have been self-motivated about self-preservation. And even to today, there's problems because, I mean, astonishingly, the, the post office to this day pays directly to the Fed the membership subscriptions for postmasters. This is something to akin to what you'd expect to have seen back in back in Russian days when Stalin was the dictator there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just beggars belief. I mean, that needs to be... Um, you know, see that 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 situation needs to be seeks because you know I, I'm a great believer that you're not going to bite the hand that feeds you, and clearly the post office mm-hmm. feeding federation here. So, so in terms of Sir Wynn Williams, we have we have high hopes uh, that Sir Wynn Williams' inquiry will get to the bottom of what's gone on here. There's there's lots of things that need to be put right, but we also need to know who was responsible for all of this not just within the Federation, but also within the post office and government. Because throughout the piece, there's been somebody sitting on the post office board from what's called BES now, uh, yes. the UTI uh, or BES. Uh, the, the, you know, the government through UKGI has had a board member in, you know, sitting on the post office board throughout this. So you know, there's lots of people that are culpable here, uh, government, post office, and, and indeed the organisation that was there to protect postmasters, the Federation of Mark, what would what would justice look like for, for you? Well, I mean, the inquiry is made up of lots of, and I mean lots of different themes. The big theme for us is what role did the lack of representation play in uh, allowing the postmasters to get away with what they, they got away with? And that's where the spotlight will shine firmly on the NFSP because they were the organisation tasked with representing postmasters. One of the things we're hoping for is that the Federation gets so utterly discredited uh, for their role in in what's gone on with the the, the terrible, tragic stories. And everybody's got their own own story to tell on this, you know, hundreds and hundreds of postmasters, not just the 555 that were in the the group litigation, but there's two and a half thousand applications into the... uh, the historical losses scheme that's now being estimated will cost over 300 million. And only last week, the, the government's uh, has put has said that they will stump up the cost of making good those historical losses. So, I mean, the, ultimately, the, 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 the price tag or bill for making good, and it will never actually make good because there's been suicides and whole family lives have been destroyed and people's futures, their hopes have gone. But ultimately, the price tag for, for this is going to run to hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds. Uh, and that's all because of the people in charge at the post office, aided and abetted by the Federation. And that's one of the questions to win not to ask himself and provide the answer in his final report is, what measures does he have to recommend to government that need to be put in place that are not currently in place what measures need to be instilled into the post office to ensure this never happens again? And surely independent representation has got to be right up there as one of the things that needs to be introduced. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't want to put words in Sir Wynne's mouth as to what that representation or who that representation should be, but we have a ready-made solution in the CWU. Indeed. 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 Uh, Simon, can I give can, at this point? Can I give a shout out to Mark actually? Because Mark last only last week won a dismissal appeal for a postmaster uh, in Scotland. Um, and one of our members been sacked by the the post office um, in in 2021, and Mark represented that member and was able to convince the post office that 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 person shouldn't be dismissed. And you know that's full credit to Mark. He's a volunteer, doesn't get anything financial out of the CWU for representing our members. He's a, marks an absolute credit to the CWU and our postmaster membership. And, and, and that demonstrates what a, a free independent trade union can do. I'd, I'd just like to sort of point out that 
looking at the union as a whole, they, they have shown themselves as an organisation to be innovative uh, and not just sitting back expecting traditionally employed people to join the union and, and, and work within the union. No, they, they've looked outside the box and recognised that there are people out there that have chosen to work in a slightly different way under slightly different contractual terms. Uh, and they've They've marketed to those people, as have other unions in the mainly in the gig economy, and it's shown that the CWU is is prepared to fight for people who need to clarify their employment status so that they can then play a full a full role within a trade union. I will always be immensely grateful to the CWU for putting the investment in, sticking with this because it's taken a lot longer than I thought it would take. But they've stuck with it and. Um, but yeah, they're they're standing shoulder to shoulder with postmasters to to get them some employment rights, representation, and um, and some justice. We should give massive credit to Alan Bates and the JFSA, uh, the Justice for Sub Postmasters Alliance. I mean, technically, they did what the Federation should have done. Yeah. They took on, they, yes. took on, they took on the post office, and, and and they were all victims. Those five hundred and fifty five people that were part of the civil litigation. We're all victims of the post office. And thankfully, because of Alan's tenacity, together with his key supporters, uh, they were able to get the, uh, the the funding together to take the post office on. Had they not been able to get that funding together and had they not been successful in the court cases, then we wouldn't be getting the justice now and we wouldn't be getting the, the compensation and we wouldn't have the, uh, the Sir Wynne Williams inquiry. So... Uh, you know, a big, big shout out to to, to, to Alan Bates. He, he has done a, a, an absolute magnificent job. The second point there is that those 555 people also deserve to get a better deal, a better compensation package. They they managed to negotiate 58 million in a settlement, but unfortunately, circa 47 million of that went in legal fees. Wow. So the, the, wow. 500, the 555 people only actually ended up sharing about 11 million between them, which was only about £20,000 per person on average. Uh, um, the CW fully support the JFSA's demands that that £47 million in legal fees is made good. Well, listeners, there you have it. Or maybe not. Because, as you can see, the story is not really over. The Williams Inquiry is due to start taking evidence in person on the 14th of February. Not long after that, there is an employment tribunal scheduled to determine whether or not postmasters and mistresses are self-employed or actually workers. So there are clear echoes of the Uber driver's employment status case here, which, of course, we've discussed on a number of previous episodes. And needless to say, the union is confident of a positive ruling, which would then pave the way for progress on the question of recognition. But there is there's also a fundamental point that Nick Wallace made. Just how do you maintain footfall and income in local post offices that in turn maximises the chances of keeping these small businesses afloat? Well, it won't surprise you to hear that the CWU has a clear vision for maintaining and restoring the post office network. And you can find that on the union's website, cwu.org. Spoiler alert, by the way, it's all about adding value and service to the community. We did ask the Fed if they would like to take part in today's programme. The current chief executive, Callum Greenhow, emailed me back and told me that as, and I quote, there is an independent inquiry currently underway, we do not want to prejudice our involvement nor commitment to that inquiry. Uh, Mr Greenhow also pointed out in his email that in his view, 44% of those charged and prosecuted between 1999 and 2015 were outside the scope of Fed membership. And we can see that thanks to a freedom of information request that 102 employees of the post office were indeed prosecuted between 1999 and 2013. But the data doesn't say whether or not there was any horizon connection. And that's not really 44% of the total of number of people who were actually prosecuted. There are a couple of other points he makes in his email that I do think are pertinent. Firstly, the Fed's view is uh, like that of the CWU, uh, that the the payouts in the 2019 court action uh, are, are not adequate, that the plaintiffs haven't received adequate compensation. So hopefully there's some basis for a common front there. And second, and perhaps most importantly for the purposes of this podcast, on the role of the Fed in the past. Callum uh, Greenhow writes that, and again I quote, 
I regret the impact that this has had on the lives of so many and have apologised before the 2020 Bay Select Inquiry if colleagues felt that the NFSP could have and should have done more. Now, there's clearly a ton of stuff available online if you want to find out more, if you want to follow the inquiry, support the campaign, if you're a postal worker or sub-postmaster, join the CWU. We've mentioned the key websites as we've been talking, but all the links and signposting are in the companion blog for this podcast, and you can access that at makesyouthink.com. Head over there, click on the blogs tab, and there it will be. Well, we are very nearly out of time for this special Union Jews episode. As ever, I hope you've enjoyed the last 40 minutes or so, that it's given you food for thought, made you think. If you agree or disagree, got a point of view or feel there's something we've missed, do get in touch. Let us know. Join the discussion. You can contact the show by email, unionjews at makesyouthink.com or Jews Union on Twitter. The same goes for your thoughts, ideas, suggestions, for who we might invite onto the show, what subjects you'd like us to take a deep dive into. We'd love to hear your views. The Horizon scandal is so big and multi-layered, it kind of squeezed out our regular thought for the week from Mel and Bassett's Radical Roundup. But they'll both be back in our next episode with extra contributions to make up for what you've missed this time. Union Jews is a proud member of the Layer Radio Podcast Network, a portal through which you can access over 100 shows to do with unions, collective voice, dignity and work and so on. LabourRadioNetwork.org is where you can find them. Every episode of Union Jews has a companion blog post full of signposting, background and more links than a golf course. Head over to makesyouthink.com to explore further. And if you get the chance to rate the show on your preferred podcast platform, that really would be most appreciated. So, my thanks. My thanks to Nick, to Andy, to Mark. My thanks above all to you for listening. We have really appreciated having your company. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, stay strong. Solidarity to all those striking and taking action to defend their terms, conditions and jobs. And I'll see you next time on Union Jews. Bye for now. The Union Dues podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper. It is a Makes You Think production.